The reason I'm excited is because what we're doing here today we've never done before. We are actually closing out a series and starting a series on the exact same day. Mind blown. It's amazing. Through the month of December, we have unwrapped these gifts of love, joy, hope, peace, and Jesus. We've shared with you what they mean, and it's, it's been pretty exciting. But then today, being December 31st, I know it's not officially next year until tomorrow, uh, but I still said Happy New Year because I'm excited. How about now? How about now? Okay. No? Yes? No? Good? That one. Technology. That should be it. Okay, that's it. I got a thumbs up. All right, I'm just going to put it out in my pocket and leave it alone. It's like I've never done this before. You give a guy a week off, he forgets he's got one job. Turn the mic on. Uh, well, that'll teach me. Um, anyway, as I was saying, we've, we've unwrapped all these cool things. And then today, I get to talk with you about the wise men. And see, usually... Christmas, you have to shove the wise men kind of in there right before Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or somewhere like that. But today we get to put them where they belong, after Jesus' birth. Yeah, woohoo! We get to do it right. We're doing Christmas in chronological order. <laughs> it's great. Also, I want to direct you to your bulletin and to what you just watched here. On your bulletin cover is, is the verse from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. You're going to get very familiar with these verses over the next year because they are, um, they are the things that we're going to be building every message out of over this next year. And in the New American Standard Version of the Bible, the heading for this actually says the two foundations. And verse 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came up, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26 says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Something I want us all to consider this year is that there are two foundations. The question is, which one are you building on? You see, the focal point, that focal point will be reflected in all the messages in 2018, starting with our message today. As we look at the wise men that came to see Jesus, and I'm also going to share with you about the, wise, the not-so-wise men who didn't come. See, you only thought this story was about a few wise men. There were not-so-wise men. And we're going to talk about that. And I want you to think about that as we look at God's word this morning. I want you to think about what foundation have you been building on? And as tomorrow starts a new year, where we get to do those New Year's resolutions that nobody keeps anyways, but we all say we're going to, start thinking about what foundation you will continue to build on in 2018. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. Lord, as we look at your story, at your words, at the account of the birth of your son, as we look at it from a couple different perspectives today, Lord, I pray that you would just open our hearts, open our minds wide open, that we would hear your word, that we would understand your word, that we would respond accordingly to your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
Now, this story starts out like any good story. A long, long time ago. No, not in a galaxy far away or any of that stuff. But a long time ago. No one actually knows the exact date on our calendar. But as I studied this, I found that it was somewhere near March 10th. The year was 597 B.C. But we don't know the exact date. That was a Saturday, in case you were wondering. But we don't know the exact date. The story that I want to tell you begins, this story on this date, back when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon sieges, seizes Jerusalem. He breaks in. He conquers the city. He's like kicking down the doors. He's trashing the temple. He captures the king. He takes up sacred vessels that are dedicated to God in the temple. And after this madcap spree of running around Jerusalem, he then orders his palace master, a fellow named Ashpenaz, to take some of the royal and well-educated Israelites and bring them back to Babylon to serve at the king's palace. And here we find Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're among the people who are now exiled to Babylon. The palace master makes them cash in their Hebrew names and he gives them these slick new Babylonian names. Daniel receives this totally rock and roll band name from the 80s. Belteshazzar, doesn't that sound like an 80s rock band name? They gave it to him. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah become respectively Shadrach, Meshach, and Rumstego, Abednego. <laughs> Immediately though, Daniel and his friends run into a problem. The king offers them daily rations of fine Babylonian cuisine, wine, and all that good stuff, but the food isn't kosher. It's not what Daniel and his friends have been eating. Fortunately, God has mercy on Daniel. And he makes the palace uh, master merciful as well. And they go back and forth a little bit. And, and he gives Daniel opportunity to uh, go vegetarian, if you will, for 10 days. Do a trial run. Daniel says, look, our God says we shouldn't eat all this stuff. Let us eat fruits and vegetables. Let us drink water. Give us 10 days. If it goes well, then we'll, we'll work this out more in the future. If it doesn't go well, we'll eat whatever you give us. So he has mercy on them. And after 10 days, they did not look worse than everyone else. They ended up looking better than the people that are chowing down on like Babylonian cheeseburgers and lobster rolls or whatever it is they're serving in Babylon these days. They're allowed to keep eating this kosher vegetarian meal. See, they honored God with their bodies right off the bat. Rather than collapsing from weakness, the Bible says that Daniel and his friends load up on strength, on knowledge, on wisdom, and on skills, all provided by God. Daniel also receives the ability to interpret dreams and visions, which will come in handy pretty soon for him. You see, eventually Nebuchadnezzar calls in these elite Israelites. After their training, uh, he's talking with them, and he finds out, the Bible actually says, no one is wiser or more knowledgeable than Daniel and his friends. They're superior to all the Babylonian wise men. That's like the home team. So the guys who are captured now know more about Babylonian times and about Babylonian culture and history than the Babylonian wise men do. The book of Daniel notes that he remained in Nebuchadnezzar's court until the first year of the Persian king Cyrus when he came to reign. Now, all this matters. Let me get to this next phase of my story. One evening, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. 
It's a very disturbing dream. It's so disturbing he wakes up and he's not able to sleep. So what does any good king do when they're not able to sleep? He calls in all the magicians and the enchanters and all the Babylonian wise men. And he says, hey, why can't I sleep? I had a dream. Why can't I sleep? And they said, well, if you tell us about your dream, we can probably tell you why you can't sleep. And he said, no, I'm not going to tell you about my dream. You have to figure out what my dream was, and then you have to tell me what it means. What? That's what he told them. He, and then he said, if you fail to tell me my dream and tell me what it means, I will tear you limb from limb. I will lay your houses in ruins. Now, there's a lot of incentive right there, but they can't tell the man what he dreamt and what it's about when they have no idea what's going on. It's just a bad day. But he says, but if somebody can tell me my dream and tell me what it means, I will shower you with riches. I will not tear you limb from limb. I will not lay your house in ruins. Well, the wise men ask a second time for Nebuchadnezzar to tell them about his dream so that they can interpret it. And he just says they're, they're just trying to buy time. He wasn't going to have anything to do with their trickery. And so he says, you know what? Everybody uh, is going to be put to death. And so they're all in prison. And this is the part of the dream, part of the story where I like to say that we call in the A team or G team. We call in God's team because Daniel and his friends, they're also arrested. They're slated to be executed. They don't even know why because they weren't part of that first little party. They just are brought in with them now into the jail. They're, they're going to get persecuted. They're going to get killed. And uh, they're like, hey, what's going on? This king is freaking out. We don't know what's going on. He's ordered everybody to die. And finally they tell him, hey, king, king had this dream. He won't tell us what it is. He, won't, he wants us to tell him about the dream and what it meant. And so Daniel calls the king's executioner, Arioch. Sounds like a good executioner name. He says, hey, come here. If you give me a little time, I can tell the king his dream and I can tell him what it means. Go tell the king that. So Arioch tells the king and Daniel goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says to them, start praying now. You start praying that God will reveal to me his dream and what it means. And during the night, Daniel has a vision that reveals the dream and it reveals and also reveals his interpretation to him. And so clearly relieved and happy, he sings a song of praise to God, citing God's supreme power and knowledge, God's control over even the destiny of kings. He thanks God for rescuing him from this scrape with death. And then he goes to Arioch and he says, tell the king not to kill the wise men this day because I'm going to tell him all about his dream. So Daniel is brought before Nebuchadnezzar and he asks Daniel if he's able to help. And Daniel says, first off, king, everything I'm about to tell you is all because of God. He gives all the credit to God right off the bat. And, and he says that because I'm telling you this, I'm telling you something that no wise man, no enchanter, no magi, nobody is capable of telling you these kinds of mysteries. You have to understand that I'm not, this is not coming from me, it's coming from God. He made it very clear where this was coming from. And then he started to show Nebuchadnezzar about his dream and what the future had in store for him. And finally, Daniel launches into the description of the dream, its interpretation. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he saw this giant frightening statue of a human being 
one with a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, a stomach and thighs of bronze, lower legs made of iron, iron, a feet made of mixed iron and clay. And then he sees a stone, one not made by human hands, hit the statue on its weak part, clay, part iron, feet. Statue collapses into pieces, gets blown away by the wind, but the stone turns into a giant mountain that covers the entire earth. Daniel tells him this story. Daniel tells him, this was your dream. And he says, here's what it means. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. The silver part of the statue is an inferior kingdom that will replace you. The bronze part is a third kingdom that will rule over the whole earth. The iron kingdom will be the one that crushes and smashes everything. The kingdom will get divided, symbolized by the clay and the iron feet. It will be partly strong, partly fragile. The stone thrown at the statue symbolizes the kingdom of God which will utterly annihilate all of these other kingdoms and permanently replace them, standing for all time. By the way, you know who else is listening in on all of this? The wise men, the magi, the sorcerers, the folks that work for King Nebuchadnezzar. They're listening to all this. The king gives Daniel a huge promotion because he he, he defines this puzzling dream. And he even says clearly, the God of gods. He praises Daniel for serving the God of gods. And he makes Daniel ruler over the province of, uh, of Babylon, sort of like the mayor or county commissioner of, of Babylon and chief of all the wise men who, by the way, Daniel just saved all their lives by sharing all that with them. So now Daniel has a captive audience, if you will, because they work for him of all the wise men of Babylon. And so at the very beginning of this, we see a king comes in and annihilates Jerusalem, takes the people with him back to his country, which is going to be for 70 years. It's a punishment, which Daniel and these other people knew was coming. And they remain a servant at the king's court until Babylon falls, just like the king dreamt about. But in the meantime, Daniel, all the satraps, I don't think I said that right, All of the the magi, all the wise men, everybody that had to do with history of Babylon who served the king worked for Daniel for 70 years or let's say 60 years, 68 years and a half or something because it took a little bit of time to get through all that. Now, why would I tell you all of that to open up a message about foundations and about the wise men? Well, two reasons. One, instead of getting caught up in all of the royal treatment that is given to the learned young men, while they, was taken, while they were taken into captivity, Daniel and his three friends stood firm on the foundations that they knew would be pleasing to God no matter what. They were not the only, um, they, they were not the only people taken from Jerusalem into captivity. But they were the only four who said, we're not going to eat this stuff. We're, we're not going to do this. We're going to do it according to God's plan. And so right off the bat, Instead of just getting caught up with, well, we're caught. We're going to be here for 70 years. I might as well just do what they do. When in Rome, I don't know if they had that saying back then. Probably not. They didn't just go with the flow. They stood firm. They knew what was being given to them was not good for them. They knew what was being given to them was not kosher, was not blessed by God, was not something God said you should have. They didn't stand up and say to the other people from Jerusalem, bunch of sinners, you godless heathens, you're not supposed to eat that. They didn't do that. That's what we would have done. They just simply went off to the side and said, hey, I appreciate this. 
But how about just you let us eat some fruits and vegetables? We're not into all this other stuff. God says we shouldn't eat it. Well, you know you've been taken captive. Yeah, and we appreciate the nice house. And, but can we just, one more thing. Let's do this, 10 days. And so they went at it, and, and they had an opportunity. They could have just gone with the flow, but they stood firm. They stood firm on a foundation they knew would be pleasing to God, no matter what the consequence was going to be. Now, as you read through the, the stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this happens to them a few other times. There's an incident with lions and prayer. There's another incident with bowing down in a fiery furnace. So these guys, this is not just a flash-in-the-pan, one-time thing. And that matters to the story I'm also telling today. They abstain from certain foods. They're found to be healthier, stronger, and even smarter than the other people taken into captivity, and even stronger, smarter, and healthier than the actual Babylonian people who grew up there, learning all of their cultures and ways and understanding them. The second thing I want to point out in this story is the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Once again, Daniel stands on the foundation of God. He could have walked in and said, Hey, king, let me tell you what you dreamt about, and let me tell you what it means. But he didn't. He walked in and he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, what I'm about to tell you, I can only tell you because God, the God of gods, revealed it to me. No wise man on earth can tell you what I'm about to tell you. As a matter of fact, I'm not any wiser than any of these men because none of us could do this without God revealing. He made it very clear. The other thing he did before he even got to that part he asked his friends to pray. And then he prayed. And he didn't just ask him to just pray once. He asked him to pray all night long. I remember Jesus asked his friends to pray all night long and they fell asleep three times. But that's a story coming up like in April. But <laughs> Daniel asked his friends to pray. And they did. They kept praying. They kept praying. Daniel's praying. God reveals this to him. They went back to the foundations of what they know. Hey, Daniel, what do you do when you're in trouble? I pray. What do you do when you're backed against the corner? I, I let, let them know that I serve God. From the very beginning, a couple of things happened because of this. One, he saved his own life, but he also saved all the lives of the magicians, the enchanters of Babylon. And some scholars believe that because of his new found position, where he had 68 and a half years of having these guys work for him, that Daniel also shared with these magi the prophecies, the things that Isaiah shared about the coming of the Messiah. And so when we fast forward, I think it's interesting, because what that means is when these magi see the star, they're basing their information found on God's word. Not found out of their books so much as prophecies that were shared with them according to Daniel, according to some of these traditions that I've read about. The prophecies are shared during the 70 years of Babylon, of, execu of execution, of not execution, um, of being exile, thank you, of exile in Babylon. But listen to what Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 says. And I want to read this to you. And I'm not projecting it today because I just want you to listen. I don't even want you to look it up. If you're looking it up, stop. You can write it down. Write down Matthew chapter 2. If you haven't read Matthew chapter 2, this part of it already, in the last four weeks, then we've already failed you as a church. 
Okay? Hopefully you have read this part. And if not, just close your eyes and listen. It goes like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. Verse 6 says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar that years ago. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. Then then he sent he sent them to Babylon, or excuse me, sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him." After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, think about all that while I tell you this. The wise men had, had the information they needed. Daniel told them everything they needed to know. How many of you have your Bible? Have your phone with your Bible? Hold it up. Hold it up. Let me see it. Not that I don't believe you, just, you know, because I know some of you were starting to turn there. Okay. You have more information than they had. We have so much more information than the wise men had. But they had the information. But the information didn't matter. What mattered was the action that followed having the information. It was the action of following the star, of packing up the camels, of getting the supplies, of getting the gifts, of getting the servants, of getting all that stuff, of, of delegating all that. It was the action of following the star to Jesus that made them who they were. And I just got to say, I think it's just my personal opinion. We say three wise men because they were given three gifts, but I kind of think there was probably more than just three of them. These guys traveled in large groups. They protected each other. They hung around. So it was, it was probably several wise men, and each of the several wise men had several servants that, that took care of their stuff. And, and yes, there may have been three gifts, but I think there was an awful lot of that gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we'll get to that. But here's the thing. Everybody's familiar with the wise men from the east following the star. Bringing their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Going first to Jerusalem. And, and the neat thing is, the star disappears for a bit. We don't, we don't get into that, but the star, um, they, they don't know where it is. And they get to Jerusalem, 
And they begin asking around. Okay? And we're familiar with this. But they go to Jerusalem and they're called before King Herod. And they say to King Herod, where is this Messiah? Where is this young baby who was born? Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. But there's another group of wise men. Those wise men didn't go where these wise men went. It's funny because when you look at verse 4, this is what Herod did. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod calls these men to tell him about the birth of the king of Jesus. And the chief priests and the scribes who were appointed as temporary wise men to King Herod, they knew the location. But they didn't believe. They didn't believe the Lord had come. Verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they knew the location, but they missed out on the incarnation. And these are some of the same men who would doubt Christ's deity all of their lives. And some of these men would be, they would be thorns in his side, and some of them, they would help to bring thorns to his brow. The sad thing is that there are many of us who are like those wise men today. There are many people in our world today that will give Jesus credit for being a good man. They may even acclaim him as being a great teacher. They may talk about his wonderful philosophy of life. They may speak about him as a prophet. They may even give him a toast during a round of drinks as they celebrate his birth. But all of these people still stop short of salvation, of repent, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Having the knowledge... And acting on the knowledge are two different things. See, because those same wise men who were giving Herod advice had the same knowledge. They actually had more knowledge than what the Magi had. But they didn't believe it. They didn't want to act on it. These men knew the Scriptures very well, but they didn't go to find the Savior. They went to the Bible. They went to Scripture, and they answered Herod's question. They, they used Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And they found the biblical answer, but they didn't apply it. Let me tell you something, folks. As we look at foundations, as we look at our lives going into the next year, you can know a great deal about the Bible and still be lost. You cannot be saved by just knowing the Christmas story. These guys knew Christ would rule. They knew the prophecies, but they refused to let him rule them. The verse says, verse 6, A governor that shall rule my people Israel. The plan of God is unfolding right before them. Think about this for a minute. This, this is not just like some black and white prequel playing back kind of thing like we see. This is full on prophetic fulfillment. Think back to the beginning of the birth story. The angels visit Zechariah. And then, and then the angel uh, Gabriel visits Mary and Joseph, the taxing of the people, the census that, that set up the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, the wise men coming from the east. This, this is like exciting. And they're like, ah, oh, King Herod, it's, it's what it says in the Bible, but eh. He wasn't born here in the palace. He can't be a king. And here we are today. We hold the full story in our hands. 
We see it. We read about the prophecy fulfilled today. But sadly, most of us choose to not act on it. Just like the wise men who quoted the Bible to Herod but didn't act on its message. Why, why did those men not hurry to Bethlehem to find Christ? Maybe they feared loss of favor with Herod. Maybe they'd already fallen back into some of their old routines because they thought the risk was too great. You ever think about that? Maybe it's, it's just easy to kind of play along as a Christian, but if, to really get involved, the risk is too great. I could lose my job. I could lose my standing. I could lose my friends. Or Heaven forbid, maybe they thought the rumor was just false. What if it just wasn't true after all these years of hoping and waiting for a Messiah? Here, here things are falling into place, but there's still that small chance that it just can't be true. And yet these wise men from the east, pagans by any other definition, were willing to risk it all to seek and find the Savior King of the world. Verse 11 says, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Uh, that child is, is Jesus, the door with the crown. That's Jesus, the king. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Could you imagine their expectations? They're at Herod's palace. And they're like, hey, where's this baby king? And Herod's like, I don't know. If you find him, though, let me know, because I'd like to come along and worship him, too, which he really didn't want to do that. Herod wanted to kill him. And so they go on, and, and they're like, okay, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the palace. Maybe their expectations were raised a little bit. Maybe they thought they were going to find this, this royal toddler, slightly, uh, having been slightly slighted by the nation, still honorably being attended to because that's what they were used to where they came from i wonder if they were disappointed when they found a cottage was his palace the only attendant was his mother is this the savior of the world is this the king of the jews no way is this the prince of the kings of the earth is this really him who Though he was rich for our sakes, became poor. Here's the cool thing about these wise men. I think if it was Herod's wise men and they would have showed up to the house, they'd have been like, ah, told you what, anything to worry about, boss. We're good. He's in a little house. He's just his mom. There's no, nobody's waiting on him. Nobody's taking care of him. But these wise men, they could see through that veil that most people couldn't. And in this, this despised, cast-aside toddler, they're able to discern, to discern the glory of Jesus as the only begotten Son of God the Father from something that was shared with them hundreds of years ago. They didn't think themselves balked or baffled. They didn't show up. The Bible didn't say they got there to where the star led them and then went, what, are you kidding me? They didn't do that. They didn't consider themselves... Uh, like like that the someone had gotten something over on him. And in the answer they found when they saw Jesus and his mother. They finally found the king they'd been searching for. What'd they do? The Bible says they presented themselves first to him. They presented themselves first. 
They bowed down. And then they presented their gifts. They presented themselves to him. They fell down and they worshipped him. We traveled all this way. He went in the palace. Here we are in this little cottage. His mom is tending to him. This is the baby Jesus. And now this toddler in a simple house, they give him this honor. And they don't just bow down to Jesus as they would a king because if that was the case, they would have done the same thing to Herod. And the Bible doesn't say anything about them bowing down to Herod, does it? They didn't travel all that way to bow down to Herod. They traveled all that way to worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They worshiped him as God not just as king. Brothers and sisters, I want to emphasize something. To anyone who has found Christ, we should fall down before him because we adore him. Not because of some task that we have to do. We should worship him and we should submit ourselves to him. He is our Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords. We should worship him. Our daily Worship of him will be the wisdom of the wisest of men. And by this, it will appear that we know Christ. People will know that we know Christ, that we understand his love ourselves, and that we will take his interests and we will act on them. That's one of the reasons we call our discipleship groups CPR groups, Christ Promoting Relationships, because that's one of Christ's interests. When you look through everything he did in his adult life, He purposely went to people. If we're humble, if we're faithful worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as the wise men were, we'll be a great reflection of him. I love that they worshiped him with themselves. They gave themselves, presented themselves, and after they presented themselves, they presented their gifts. They didn't walk up, hey, we brought you this gold, hey, we brought you this frankincense. Hey, we brought you this myrrh. Oh, by the way, we're going we're gonna to worship you. Now, they came in and they bowed down and they worshiped little toddler Jesus with his mother standing beside him. And then, after worshiping him as, as Lord, they said, hey, we have gifts too. It wasn't that the gifts were an afterthought. They traveled far too far for the gifts to be an afterthought. Those were prepared well in advance of any other thing that took place on that journey. Did you know that in Eastern nations, when they offered homage to their kings, they usually made the presents and the gifts, and they they did it all together with like their own elaborate family clan kind of way. I would love to see how those gifts were presented to Jesus. And they presented their gifts to him. And now here today with ourselves... Are we willing to box up, to give up all that we have to Jesus Christ? If we're sincere in the surrender of ourselves to him, we will not be unwilling to give him what is dearest to us and what is most valuable to us and offer it to him as part of our daily act of worship. Something else to consider is that our gifts... They won't be accepted unless we present ourselves to him first as living sacrifices. Let's look all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. God had Abel's respect because Abel worshipped him and then presented something to him in his offering. 
the same thing. The gifts that the wise men presented, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were money and money's worth to a king. He has everything. He left everything to come here. He, he did not need it. And I think, I think that was God's providence sent these gifts for a seasonable relief for Joseph and Mary in their present condition. These were all products of the Magi's own country. And Joseph is about to be warned in a dream by God to go away with Mary and Jesus, to leave that country. And through the wise men, through their, their travel, based on the simple foundational truths of God's word, favor and provision is once again given to Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. There's another lesson here for all of us. What God favors us with, we must honor him with. Mary and Joseph could have done anything with, with that gold, with the frankincense, with the myrrh. They could have done a lot of things with it. There's no word of any misuse of those gifts. There's major significance in these gifts. And, and I really believe that when God favors us with something, we need to honor him with that. The wise men offered gold as a king, paying him tribute. Frankincense as God. For they honored God with the smoke of incense and myrrh as a man that should die because myrrh was used in embalming dead bodies in that time. These were all valuable gifts to be traded and used to provide for Joseph's family as they traveled to safety based on God's wisdom to Joseph. What are you doing with your gifts? What foundation are you looking to continue to build your spiritual life on? As we come into our response time today, I want us to consider both types of the wise men that I talked about this morning. I want you to consider your life. Consider the new year. Consider the gifts that you will present to your King and Savior, Jesus Christ, throughout the next year. I'm not talking about just here's your offering check or, or, or I'll make an online payment. That's what I'm talking about. Consider the gifts that you will present to your King and Savior, Jesus Christ, throughout this next year. Will your gift to Him be your daily act of worship based on simple foundational truths that are found in His Word? Or will you be like the wise men who served King Herod and ultimately served themselves? As we stand to sing our response song, if you'd like to start off the new year with rededication or repentance or baptism or prayer the elders and the staff are here we'd love to take those steps with you today will you stand and sing our response song with us this morning and consider how you'll respond to god's word not just for today but as we go into a new year of new beginnings and new foundations